Today, we're talking about mistakes. We all make them. But don't worry, we're not here to point fingers or we're not going to shame anyone. Instead, in this episode, we're going to learn from the biggest mistakes that property managers have made in their business. Our guest today is Brooke Fouts from Vintori. And he's been asking some of the leading property managers in the business to reflect on their top 10 mistakes. This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new and what will help make your business a success. Welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer. And as ever, I'm super delighted to be back with you once again. And today we're talking about mistakes. And I made a lot of mistakes in the 20 years that I was in the business of property management. And I've talked about them over the years on the podcast. And I've recorded a couple of episodes that are actually focused on the mistakes that I made. And I know that one of them was, you know, if I started up in this business, what would I do differently? And and that sort of focused on some of the things that I'd, I'd done that didn't work so well and the changes I would make if I had that time over again. But one of the earliest podcast I recorded was called 10 Mistakes VRBOs Often Make. And it's been the most downloaded episode of all time, nearly 5,000 times that's been downloaded. So it seems like people like to hear how others got it wrong and hopefully then make sure that they don't replicate those mistakes. And I'm talking about mistakes like, you know, getting distracted by new shiny objects. You know, who doesn't do that? And for those of you who are out and about on ChatGPT every day and then getting distracted by other new AI platforms, that's you. Not to say there's anything wrong with getting distracted by new AI platforms, but there is always a time and there is always a place. So other mistakes like waiting too long to implement revenue management strategies, we certainly did that. And not having a business plan. I realised that when we came to sell the property management company, that we'd waited too long to start implementing a business plan. And there's many, many more. So our guest today is Brooke Fouts from Vintory. And he's been asking some of the leading property managers in the business to reflect on their top 10 mistakes and to share them. He's had over 40 responses so far. And if my math can be trusted, That's over 400 mistakes to sift through. And he's already sorted them into handy categories like strategy and team and processes and communication and owner acquisition and a lot more than that. So you could then learn from those mistakes of others and avoid making them yourself. And of course, we can't talk about 400 mistakes in today's episode. So... Brooke is actually compiling all of these 
into a book, just as he did with his first bestseller, which was naught to 500 properties in five years. So you will get the opportunity to read them all. So I'm going to be talking to Brooke about a number of these mistakes that some of these property managers made, and we're going to be exploring them in a little more detail. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, maybe even cringe a little as we delve into the biggest mistakes made in the vacation rental industry. Let's get started. So I'm super delighted to have back with me once again, I think it's the fourth time, and that is Brooke Fouts from Vintory. Welcome, Brooke. Always an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Absolutely. Heather, glad to be here. I can't believe it's been, man, has it really been four times? Yeah, when I look back, it was, yes, this is is episode four. (laughs) So I'll I'll put the links, I will put the links to the other ones in the show notes. So uh, because... Your company, and I'm just going to ask you just to recap in a second, you know, how you got to where you are now, but your company is involved in one specific area of the vacation rental industry, but you've been in the whole gamut, really, of of the business, having run your own company. So just over to you, just just briefly recap on your history in the short-term rental business. Oh my gosh, we don't have enough time, but I'll try to do it as quickly as possible. So a little over a little over 15 years. Uh, so way back in 2007, somehow stumbled into into the short-term vacation rental business. Started a company called Vantage Resort Realty in Ocean City, Maryland. Didn't know anything about vacation rentals because I was in mortgage banking before. But ended up building that company pretty fast. Built that company from zero to 500 properties in five years. Uh, sold that company in 2013. Then I went down to Orlando. I was chief business development officer for a large vacation rental company. That's where I really got into uh, purpose-built design, purpose-built vacation rentals. We were designing and building these luxury, big luxury, seven to 14 bedroom homes, but we we're designing them from the ground up to be the most optimal vacation rental on the planet, not only from the guest perspective, but also the asset holder or the owner's perspective. Did that for about five years. My wife said, you know, hey, when are you going to actually live with your family? So because <laughs> I was commuting to Orlando every week from Baltimore, went over to LiveRes for two years where I led up uh, sales and marketing. That's when I fell in love with software, fell in love with just SaaS in general. And then uh, four years ago, I launched uh, Vintory. And Vintory, we're a, we're a sales and marketing platform that we do one thing and one thing only. We help uh, professional short-term vacation rental managers grow their inventory. So we don't do anything with guest marketing. We don't do anything with OTAs. We don't do anything with operations. Riches and niches, baby. We, we focus exclusively <laughs> on inventory acquisition. And I would argue we've got you know 60 people on the team that are best on the planet at growing inventory and uh, we're, we're doing a great job helping. We've helped, uh, we just hit signed up our 550th partner on Vintory platform. So really excited uh, to kind of share some of the wisdom of, of what we found over the last 15 years and over the last couple of weeks with this new series, which I'm sure you'll jump into here shortly. I will do. I just, just wanted to, uh, to add to what you just said that uh, when, uh, when I was running Cottage Link Rental Management, we did work with you for yeah. a good six months or so found some glitches between the US and the Canadian market, which made it a little bit difficult to go ahead. But I was blown away with the quality of the service I was getting from from the people on your team. They were second to none. Well, thank you so much. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is challenging getting data. You know, it all starts with data and uh, data in Canada and outside the US borders is very challenging. But, you know, you still have, we still have this killer CRM and marketing automation platform that still works. But, 
it's a lot harder to kind of proactively do that outreach when you don't have the target. So you have to almost build out more landing pages <laughs> and inbound marketing strategies. So it's a little bit of a slower process, but it still does work. But as you found out, you know, getting that data was a little challenging outside the U.S. borders for sure. Yeah, ex- exactly. I wanted to have you back on the show today because you've been very busy uh, out on LinkedIn asking managers to share their top 10 mistakes. And I jumped in on this one because the most downloaded episode ever on the podcast has been, I think it was called the the 10 biggest mistakes that VRBOs make. And I, I initially did that episode right at the very beginning of the podcast and then updated it a few years ago. And there's been over 5,000 downloads wow. of that just single episode. So for some reason, people like to hear like mistakes. <laughs> they like to hear about mistakes. I didn't even know that going into this. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I think it it is because you know everybody wants to learn, and I think this is why you've done this. Yep. You've you've been out there asking the question. You've had over forty responses from managers now, and with, even with my poor math, I know that's over 400, 400 mistakes that you have now. Bearing in mind that some of the responses are very similar and there's themes that run mm-hmm. through the yep. 10 mistakes. So I'll, I'll hand it over to you to talk about, yep. you know, what started this off and actually what you're doing with it right now. And then we're going to go into some of these mistakes that uh, that have been sent to you. Yeah. So there was no strategy here at all. So it was a Sunday evening a couple of weeks ago and I'm just sitting there, you know, watching some TV with my wife and I just had my phone out and somehow I stumbled upon some blog that said, uh, you know, uh, something about, you know, top 10 mistakes. And I was like, that's a great question. So I quickly just fired up my, you know, my phone and just shot off a text to a couple of friends of mine that are in the short term space I think I sent out like four texts and I got four like answers within, you know, 12 hours. And I just said, you know, what, let me post this on LinkedIn and see what happens. And Heather, it virtually went you know, viral. It was crazy, <laughs> the response that we got from that. And I said, well, maybe I think I'm on to something. So I asked a couple other people and, you know, some of the people would respond and they would comment and, and I would ask them and it just, it just kept on growing and growing and growing. And, and next thing you know, I'm like, you know, I had multiple people tell me, they're like, you should make this into a book. You should make this into a book. And I, I was actually at a conference. I was at Northwest VRP. And one gentleman told me, he goes, Brooke, you, he came up and he said, you know what? I actually print out every one of these. And I was like, to me, and he's like, I save it in a folder. And that to me was like, you know what? I got to do something about this. Now, luckily I have a little bit of experience of, you know, making a book. So it's not as hard, not as challenging. So what I'm going to be doing here is I'm going to be, you know, converting all these, you know, consolidating all these and, and putting it out on a book. And um, yeah, really, really looking forward to seeing where this goes, because I, I just know there's so many, like you said, there's so many, so many commonalities. And there's, mm-hmm. it's, it's funny how they all kind of bucket into, ironically enough, about 10 different uh, buckets. So, so those buckets are, and I'll, I'll list them just as you you sent them to me. So we've got strategy, we've got team, which is really the hiring process. And I was very interested how many people had issues Mm -hmm. with hiring and firing. Processes, things like standard operating procedures, finance and accounting, cleanings, inspections, laundry and safety, communication, feedback and guest marketing. Big one. Inventory acquisition, that's what you're involved in. 
taking on the wrong owners and inventory. <laughs> similar. I know. I I feel every single one of those comments on that I, one. That one, Heather, was probably. I think there was more comments on that one than any other, <laughs> other than networking and conferences. I think that was number one. Number two was taking on the wrong inventories and the wrong inventory. Yeah. And then technology and then networking, conferences, community and local competition. And then you, you're going to have a bonus section, but I'll, I'll leave you to talk about that one yep. in, in the end, because uh, after we talk through some of these mistakes that people have sent to you, you're going to share with us what's going to happen with the book and yep. where people are going to be able to get it from, because yep. uh, we may just get through 10 of these. <laughs> out of 400 plus. Yeah. So there's, we, could there's, be here. we could be here a while. Yeah. So what I've done is just sort of picked one out sure. of each section and we'll just explore each one a little bit more until we run out of time. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. The first one, the overarching theme is strategy. I think the ones I'm picking out because I'm thinking, yes, these are the ones that really impacted me through my journey in property management. And the first one was shiny objects. And uh, I was amazed how many people mentioned shiny object syndrome. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, everybody wants to do uh, everything and everybody's chasing all these shiny objects. And I am more guilty of this than anyone. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is my fourth business I've started. And I've really honed in on realizing uh, one of my favorite sayings is riches in niches. And, you know, or inch wide, mile deep, you know, be the best on the planet at one thing and uh, really focus on this. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people have found that they started chasing all these different things and it really wasn't it wasn't the right strategy. You know, stick to your core competencies, stick to what you know, stick to what makes you unique. And I, I was just as guilty as that, too. So, you know, when I had Vantage, I mean, we chased after every single property we could get to. And then we learned early on, we said, you know, we're just going to stick to these four or five buildings and capture mm-hmm. as much market share as we can because we're really good at marketing. There are high ADRs, and it was just uh, rather than trying to chase all these these other different things, I think that was another one. But you saw that theme come up time and time again. Yeah, it was all about you know staying focused. And one I picked out was you know getting distracted by shiny objects. Stay focused. What is the core business that you're in? And and it's so easy to to think, oh, you know, this is something I I could do because here's something new that's that's come along and I could yeah. get into this. And I did like this, Dustin. Don't know who Dustin is, but you do. Stay yeah. true to your your niche or focus. If it's not an F, yes, it's probably a no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, um, Dustin with uh, Portoro. Uh, yeah, he's he's a great guy and he's so spot on and. I know Justin Ford. I mean, Justin Ford used to have a boat rental business, but I mean, I remember I stayed with him multiple times, uh, some of his properties up in, uh, on a lake in Maine. And I mean, he would spend all his, you know, Friday, Saturdays and Sundays doing nothing but towing boats around. Like how effective is that? Is that the best use of his time? You know, now it was great for us to have the boat sitting there, but I just don't think that was probably the most effective use of uh, his time. And I think he admitted that too in in this as well. Yeah. And I think the other thing that comes into this is, getting distracted by new softwares and new technologies. Mm-hmm. And I think we all do that. No, no more so than now. You know, we've, it's not just chat GPT. It's every other peripheral bit of software that's out there that yeah. can capture your attention. Something that's, that's going to, that's, that says it's going to save you time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, and I'm drawing a blank at the exact quote, but it was Mike Carrington that talked about something to the effect of, uh, he goes, your team probably isn't as excited uh, about the technology as you are. 
<laughs> yeah, so I certainly resonated with that because I used to have you know, all these wonderful ideas and I was the only one. I, I, I never really thought, why am I the only one getting excited about this? And my, my business partner at the time, he said, he, you know, the, the four words he hated to hear from me was, I've got an idea. <laughs> yep. <laughs> which, which is great if you're, if you're going to start a completely new company, but probably not when you're right in the middle of a summer season and to, yeah. to get a new idea. So, so that, that, that was a very common one, letting yourself getting distracted and how important it is to stay true to your niche. Hey, um, Brooke, I'm going to Europe next week okay. and I'm, doing, I'm <laughs> doing a presentation on niches. Over there, they call it niches. So, niches. but you can't say the reaches are in the niches. Can you? <laughs> it doesn't work the same way, does it? No, no. I'm I'm, I'm trying to find something that rhymes with niche. Niche. Um, <laughs> so you know, the peaches are in the niches. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, let's let's move on. And yeah. the second category is team. There were so many comments about team and hiring and firing. What was the sort of theme that came out of it all? Yeah, it was uh, a lot of it obviously was hiring the wrong people came up many, many, many times. Conversely, you know, I also, you know, heard is waiting too long to hire, you know, stretching Mm -hmm. yourselves too thin. But really, and then on the other you know, side of that, it was really, I mean, I mean, I don't know how many times, Heather, this came up. I mean, it must at least a dozen times, like too slow to fire the wrong team member. I forget who it was that said it, but they were like, the, the point of it is, look, this is good for you, but it's also good for them, you know, getting them in a job where they need to be. A lot of people talked about culture index and, and predictive index, like using uh, mm-hmm. psychometric personality assessment tools. But yeah, like hiring the wrong people uh, and waiting too long to fire uh, were, were often mentioned throughout this for sure. Yes. Yes. When I read, I, I wish we'd hired more slowly. I wish we'd taken somebody on sooner. And I know for me, it was taking somebody sooner. Um, I talked to St- Steve Trover recently and we did a great episode on, we didn't really touch much on EOS, but we talked about the visionary and the integrator yeah. and when was the right time to hire your integrator. What's what's your thoughts on that? Because oh, yeah. it, it seems like if if many of these managers had gone that route, they would perhaps not have had such issues. Yeah, no, I mean that came up time and time again. There's a lot of people, and we might talk about that in processes, but a lot of people are running EOS, uh, and I think one of the things themes was not uh, starting EOS uh, earlier. An EOS is entrepreneurial operating system, but. Um, that part, big part of that EOS system is uh, the visionary integrator relationship. So in most businesses, you need a visionary. So this is the strategic visionary, you know, typically very often it's the founder. It's the hoorah, rah, like, you know, let's burn the ships, let's go. But conversely, you need that integrator role, which is someone that is more of like, I think they say visionary is all gas, no brakes. And, and usually <laughs> the, uh, the integrator is the brake pedal. Like they're the one that has to build the systems and the processes. And, and that's a classic in our um, in our organization here at Ventory. I'm the visionary. I have no detail whatsoever. I have a lot of weaknesses, but I think I'm pretty strategic. I think I'm pretty visionary, but I have you know no brake pedal. And uh, I, I do not know how to set up a system and a process. So luckily, I've complimented myself with uh, a gentleman named Randy Bonds, who is our uh, integrator, 
uh, our COO or GM or whatever you want to call them. Um, and he's, you know, he's the one responsible for more of like, you know, building out those systems processes and, and the, the team structure and things like that. But that uh, visionary integrator relationship is so important. And, but also conversely, it's like knowing who you are in there, you know, very often you, you have to understand where, and that's where I think predictive index and culture index comes into uh, based on those profiles. Luckily we have that, but that was, I think one of my common theme or one of my mistakes was uh, not actually hiring a integrator or a GM or a COO to complement my vast wide weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, in, in my company, my business partner, Craig, was the integrator, which made it pretty easy. However, once we got to the point of, and that, that's where it, uh, it fall, fell apart, because once we got to within a couple of years of selling the company, how could you sell a company to a buyer with no visionary and no integrator? Because yeah. we'd be gone. Good so, point. good point. <laughs> so, so we then had to move to hire our uh, our integrator at that time. I mean, yeah. and I I was the good visionary. I had no idea how to work the PMS. I don't think I even had a login for it. <laughs> But I, but, you know, but there were other people who knew it. But we had to do some some very quick footwork before we sold to make sure that there was somebody in the in place to take care of to take over from the. Kobe Olin told, talks about that all the time too. Is you know make sure you have, you know, if you are looking to sell, it is definitely easier to sell if you already have that GM or COO in place. Mm-hmm. Just so you know the the wheels don't fall off the bus, so to speak, and everything kind of operationally can transition pretty easily. So that's that's definitely a, if you are thinking about considering you know selling in the next couple of years, I would make sure you get a good uh, GM COO in place. And and if you're wondering what we're talking about when we talk about integrator, I go go to the show notes, check out the episode with uh, Steve Trover of Better Talent. That's when we were talking about the necessity for an integrator. So we're, we're moving on to the next one: processes. Lots of people talking about standard operating procedures, SOPs, people waiting too long to create and implement written ones. And I think we all wander about as sole proprietors or you know property managers, the visionaries, and we have it all in our heads. <laughs> and then you hire the first person and it's like, you know, how, how do we get that information out of our heads and into theirs? Yeah, I mean, this came up all the time. Uh, you know, having those processes, having those SOPs, getting them on paper, don't having them in your head, get them in writing. There was tons of specific examples. Uh, EOS came up again a lot, uh, having that entrepreneurial operating system. And then another one was kind of interesting was simplify. Like, just try to simplify the business. Like, don't make it too complex. Keep it real simple. EOS talks a lot about uh, SOPs and processes uh, as well, but. Um. Yeah, this this was a common theme for sure. Get it out of your head and put it on. Get it on writing. Get it on paper. Mm-hmm. I've been. Uh, I've I've got the EOS book on Audible at the moment, listening to it, and uh, it's it's really really interesting. Got me really thinking about. You know what? There's about four. Things. Sorry, Heather. There's like there's like four or five videos you can watch on YouTube that just talk about EOS. And the big ones, if you just if you want to limp into it, just start off. It's the level ten meeting. It's rocks, a scorecard. I mean, and um, if you just start there with those three things, you can get, you know, 60, 70% of EOS just by watching a couple uh, YouTube videos. Now, I would recommend eventually bringing in a, you know, some a professional facilitator. You will get a lot more out of it. But if you want to just kind of test it out and dip your toe in the waters, just watch a couple of those videos. Uh, again, level 10 meetings, rocks, uh, and scorecard that you can go, you can go far away with those. 
Okay, and uh, I will put links to those in the show notes as well. You got me busy okay. now. There you go. <laughs> um, staying with the topic of processes, there were lots of um, specific I- examples of these. One of them not having integrated smart locks as part of our reservation system. There is nothing worse than having to manually port over door codes. Yep. It's just something simple like that. Another one which really struck a chord with me was uh, not giving owners clear instructions after onboarding, yeah. after onboarding their property. And, you know, we'd get text saying, well, when do I get paid? <laughs> yeah. Something simple like that. Never really come across in the communication. Who to contact for certain needs. Sarah Bradford talks about this in quite a few of their episodes about, and she and Tim actually had one episode on the 12 things that you have to talk to your owners about on onboarding. And a brilliant episode that will be in the show notes as well. That came up a lot, you know, it's just not only it's, you know, onboarding, but offboarding. What are those processes for in place for that? And that communication, you know, to owners as well, definitely came up a lot. Yeah. Other things, you know, stocking amenities like bikes, boards, and beach toys without having a tracking and inventory replacement system. And, yeah. and that goes, goes for, for just about everything in, in terms of inventory. So there's, there's so much wrapped around that or, or that, that pop topic of processes wraps around a lot of things. Yeah. Okay, where are, what's the next one is, I'm, I'm scrolling back up to the top of the page, then coming all the way back down. <laughs> and the more I get down, it takes longer. Um, finance and accounting. Yeah, not having budget, setting up cash reserves, rainy day fund. And, you know, running, this was a big one. I'm going to say this, Just pause. Setting up trust accounting, even if your state doesn't require it. Please, please, please set up trust accounting, even if your state doesn't require it. That one came up multiple times. Yes. I mean, we, we were fortunate because we we had to have trust accounting and and it, it was part of our registration with, um, with our uh, travel and tourism board. And I, I couldn't imagine that a company would run without it. Yeah. But I'm guessing, I'm guessing they do from reading some of these. A lot of states that don't require it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, a lot of people talked about budgeting, operating without a budget and without tracking my profit and loss statement against my monthly budget. I am I was so guilty of not doing that. Yeah. Robin Cragen, you know, missing a budget meeting because we were too busy. It seems like that was a common theme. Uh seems like he missed a lot of those meetings. Um yeah, not not having those budgets in place. Uh I think Sarah Bradford mentioned that. I think Simon Lehman talked about that as well. So yeah, there's a lot of good uh, good things talking about budgeting. Yeah. Uh, process. Okay, moving on. Cleaning, inspections, laundry, and safety. I was looking for something from Andy Medic in here, and oh, there it is. <laughs> Not bringing housekeeping, maintenance, and laundry in house at the outset. I I remember in uh, and Andy's time at Sea Change Vacations, where he would post pictures on a Saturday of himself at the, at the wheel of the van with all the laundry in the back, and then sitting in a, in a tiny little space with all the laundry around him. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, these came up, uh, like bringing in-house cleaners came up a lot. 
waiting. I think it was uh, Ginger uh, Harrelson with Beach Ball Properties, Brian Olson, Andy. Uh, but also the one that was caught up, brought up six times was in-house laundry. Waiting too long to bring laundry in-house. Six different times that came up. So I, I was actually really surprised by that one. Uh, how, how I mean, that was Sarah Bradford, Brian Olson, Eric Thibodeau, Justin Ford, Andy Medic, Dennis with Cassiola. They all mentioned it, say they wish they brought in uh, laundry in-house much, much sooner. When uh, when I've talked, I've talked to so many property managers over the years on this show, and and that has come up time and time again. And usually, I was talking to them at a time when you know they're building their facility, and you know things were happening. And somebody said, "I never thought I'd get so excited about washing machines." <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the, one of the most proudest uh, one of our partners, uh, Darby and Taryn, uh, down at Stay Local Nashville, down in Nashville. They have this incredible laundry facility. I think it's actually bigger than the Tennessee Titans uh, laundry <laughs> facility. And they were so proud. But they've said multiple times that is what kept them afloat during COVID. They were just doing uh, other people's laundry. And they mm-hmm. built out. I mean, they, they invested like, I don't know what the number was, but hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on this laundry facility and these massive laundry machines. And that literally kept them alive during uh, during COVID. Yeah, exactly. Um I, I, I can't um, get off this topic without talking about safety because Justin would not forgive us for, for not. <laughs> and I think, and, and it's, he said, not paying better attention to guest safety. I almost lost the company from just one guest safety incident. Yeah, and that, that's, uh, that was what kind of got him into the whole safety kick was that, uh, that instance. And, you know, after he sold his company, he, he's obviously done a great job championing safety and uh, we don't do a better, good enough job on that. I think it was brought up a couple of times here. Uh, Christina and Thor, uh, Thornson down in Chattanooga and Eric Thibodeau really just talking about that safety aspect of it, just how important it really is. Uh, we're, none of us are safe enough, if you will. You know, there's a lot of liability there for all of us, for sure. And you can lose your company pretty quickly. Yeah, we, we breezed our way through probably 14, 15 years of business without really paying much attention to safety. And it was only after I did the safety course, the breezeway safety course that I went, Oh my gosh, we have, you know, we've dodged the bullet so many times. Yeah. All it takes is one. All it takes is one. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, if, if if you guys listening are going to pay attention to any one of these mistakes, you know, if you, if you are not paying attention to safety, then you know, do it now and, you know, go, go to Breezeway, do the safety course. Easy, easy thing to do. Okay. We are talking about communications, feedback and guest marketing. What, uh, what were the common ones in, um, I mean, Let's talk about owner communications because that was a yeah, long, long was list. A big one. Yeah, just it seemed like just and it kind of goes hand in hand with what we talked about before with, uh, you know, setting the right expectation of your owners. But yeah, that owner communication, not, you know, many people said they were under communicating with their owners, not having communication. Brian Olson, not having communication plan to communicate with their owners. Ryan Dame with Casago, not having owner communication strategy for current owners. Someone is always trying to get their attention, show constant appreciation uh, and what you're doing to help them win. Um, a, a common theme, and I don't, I don't have any off the top of my head, but it was some of the effect of let them know everything you do for them. Very mm-hmm. often you do all these things for them, but you don't let them know what you're actually doing and they just, they don't see it. So we used to, when I had Vantage, we would, uh, we would put everything we did in a property on the, um, the monthly statement. 
And we just show, and if it was a no charge, we just put no charge, but I wanted them to see everything we did. Every time we went into a property, I wanted them to know that. <laughs> Anytime we did tighten some doorknobs and things like that, and we weren't charging for it, I wanted them to, to see that. But yeah, I think that was an important one. Um, let's Can see I, I just want to just jump in, in there yeah. because we, we took our RV into, into the service center uh, last week to have some, some warranty work done. So nothing was charged. And usually they don't go beyond, you know, the, they don't want the scope creep when they've only got your, your rig for a, for a certain amount of hours. But they will always do an extra check over. And absolutely everything that they looked at mm-hmm. was documented, Fantastic. even if nothing had to be done, they brought it to our attention. And, and that attention to detail just, it got me writing yeah. a Google review. You know, yeah. these guys are amazing. I mean, they didn't actually fix them, you know, fix these things. It, they were just pointing them out. But thank you. <laughs> Great example. Uh, I would, uh, I would, I would, uh, I would do that if I were a property manager again. So, Kevin Jones, uh, formerly with Latter- Latitude Thirty Eight, he had a great one here. If, you know, forgetting to prioritize communication. Timely communication is key to everything. Communicate the good news. Communicate the bad news. And know that no communication is never a good strategy. I thought that was a good one. I liked Paul Becker not fully discussing the potentially yeah. ugly part of <laughs> short-term renting their home with a homeowner yeah. just to get a new listing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that one came up. He mentioned that on to, to the homeowner and also to the guest. You know, highlighting uh, the, the negatives of the property too. Don't try to oversell it because uh, all it's going to do is make uh, upset uh, guests or upset in this case upset owners. So don't don't oversell. Yeah, I- I- exactly. I mean, we we learned that to our cost on numerous occasions over over twenty years, and and you know we were always upfront. Let's talk about the damage that's going to happen. You know, let's let's talk about the times when you walk in and you'll see scuffs on your walls and perhaps you know a, a stain on a on a couch. It will happen, and really getting those out of the way, and and then we're reiterating them over time. Don't forget, you know, damage is going to happen. It made things a lot easier. I like Meg Parks' comment about never over promising. Yeah. Always promise what you can guarantee you can meet, setting clear expectations and surpassing them always goes much farther than not meeting expectations at all. Yep. Conflict yes. resolution. I was, I was hoping you'd bring this one up because this one came up a lot too. Uh, there's some great ones. I mean, Mike Harrington, uh, letting issues <laughs> fester. Uh, I've learned that if you get uh, if you let guests or homeowner issues fester, it leads to a lot more unnecessary anxiety deal with it as soon as possible. And then uh, one that just parlays so well into that one, Adam Norris uh, down in Blue Ridge, North Carolina, forgetting that the phone call trumps every <laughs> Trump's email every time for difficult situations. And, you know, I think even uh, Mike Harrington brought that up, you know, being too reliant on email. If it takes more than five sentences to explain, just pick up the damn phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we used to tell, tell our, our, our staff that we're managing issues, just pick up the phone so much easier. And you, you can have that conversation and it may be a difficult conversation, but in the long run, you're going to, it's so much better than, than sitting on the email that you really want to write and then sending the one that you know you have to write and maybe not getting the tone right. So yeah, I, I love, I love that. Yeah. Conflict resolution is, is a, a big one. And I think yeah, lots of people mentioned that, you know, trying to, 
trying to solve a dispute by email. Don't do it. Yeah. Um, let's, I mean, do, do jump in, Brooke, if I'm missing any. No, these are good. I mean, we could be here all day though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, but we're rattling through them. I wish, I, I wish someone would write a book about all these. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is great that you're going to do this because I think this is really going to be sparking people's interest and, uh, there'll be, there'll be, waiting for this book to come out. Let's talk about your favorite one. It's an inventory acquisition. Yes. Yes. I love this one. Yeah. So I guess uh, it starts off really with the biggest theme I saw was um, just falling under like kind of the strategy of it was it seemed like uh, many people made the mistake of kind of doing inventory acquisition as an afterthought. It's Mm -hmm. like you do, you put all this time, money and effort into guests and your website for guests but you forget about the core part of your business is really, if you don't have any inventory, you don't have a business. So, you know, making it a conscious effort um, and, and a big part of it, big theme here was from multiple people. I mean, I think there was like four or five people just off the top of my head that talked about uh, not dedicating a specific budget towards continuous owner acquisition. Just like you have all these strategies to try to get new guests all the time, having a very thoughtful, proactive strategy of getting new owners and many people don't do that. And uh, I mean, there was Michael Badenko mentioned that, Christina and Thor Thorinson, Ryan Dane with Casago, Eric Thibodeau. Like they just, they talked about, you know, having that very specific conscious, conscious effort of going after and getting a new inventory. Um, also just, um, you know, I think Jed uh, Stevens with Chloe Kai and Jen Mucha with Arrived and um, a couple other people, uh, Kuhn uh, Rollins talked about, you know, hiring a very a specific person. Mm dedicated person for business development. And that was even a mistake I made. We, we had, um, it was not specializing that role. We, even though we had, you know, business development people, we understood the power of inventory. We understood that it was the, it was the most impactful lever we could pull to kind of improve our top line revenues, our bottom line profits and build our, our, you know, the net worth of the company, but we still had them doing owner relations things afterwards. And, you know, those skill sets don't always necessarily are the same, you know? So typically like a salesperson is not necessarily the best follow-up. They don't have the best high detail trait in, you know, speaking mm-hmm. of culture index and predictive index. So what I would say is, uh, you know, specialize and get a full dedicated, dedicated business development uh, reps. That's one of the things I, I've actually presented down at um, over in um, Reno uh, last week at the Northwest VRP. And I, I talked about actually going through the math of understanding of, does it make sense to hire a full-time business development rep? And the answer is, it depends. It depends on two things. The first is, do you have some money to invest? Because you know you have to kind of, it's a little bit preloaded. You got to pay for this person until they start getting ramped up, until this property start you know, generating revenue. And then the secondly is, do you have the right person in place? And that's where you know we've established, we've done a regression analysis over the you know 550 companies that we've signed up. What are the best profiles that make the best business development reps? And the, the math came out to it. What we did it on this was, if you can get somebody that goes out there and signs up, you know, 16, 17, 18 new properties a year, new properties that you wouldn't have had without them, if you fall within the industry averages, it makes sense all day long to, to do that. <laughs> I, I love the part about software, actually, and not using a CRM for owner acquisition. Oh, that- come on. I mean, that's that's what we do, Heather. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and I was just as guilty. The funny thing is I remember going to LiveRes all the time saying, you know, when will you build an owner CRM? And, oh, we're getting there. We're getting there. And at the time, there really weren't any really solid CRMs when I was building my company. So, yeah, definitely use a CRM. There's a ton of them out there now. 
I mean, even HubSpot has a great, mm-hmm. great free version, you know, but be careful before you know, you'll be dropping two, $3,000 a month because it's, there's so many upgrades and things like that you can do. And obviously a shameless plug for Vintory. We have this really killer CRM built from the ground up specifically for Vikishro managers to use for uh, homeowner acquisition. So there's my, there's my plug for the, <laughs> the CRM. <laughs> um, right. We're on number eight. So we're, we're, we're moving along quite nicely. Oh. Taking on the wrong owners. Oh gosh, this came up. I mean, I think this was more, this is one of the most popular categories was just taking on the wrong owners and the wrong inventory. And, you know, talking about the process of vetting them, talking about, you know, just a signing up the wrong properties or the wrong owners. But then once you actually have them on there, getting rid of them um, and, you know, helping out your team sometimes, if you have an abusive owner and, you know, be an advocate for your team, get rid of them. I mean, you could have a, a you know, someone that does homeowner relations and may, let's say they have 20, 30, 40 homeowners and all of them are great, except for that one owner. All they will think about all day is about that one jerk homeowner. Mm-hmm. So do your team a favor and get rid of them. <laughs> it's no one owner is worth, you know, the stress to your team and then losing that. That, that was a common theme too. It's like you're losing team members because of the stress of that one person is just not worth it. Yeah, in the in the twenty years that uh, that our business was in operation and under Craig and I, we didn't lose any property. We didn't get rid of any properties. We got rid of the owners. <laughs> yeah, and I think I'd mentioned before that we we got rid of our highest performing property, and yeah. it was the highest performing by a lot. And but the owner was it, it was it was nightmare dealing with the owner. We took a real hit with that one, but the time taken dealing with that owner, when you began to factor that in, so it was time taken in terms of of money spent on the time, but also, you know, taking our staff away from other work. And, and of course the stress on them was monumental. Yeah. But yeah, I would said it. CJ said, allowing toxic owners to steal energy from my employees. Or Brian Olson, keeping bad owners too long, they will bring down you and your team. Yeah. Um, that was a common theme throughout. Yes. Um, I, I, I love these. I've still yet to submit my 10. And, and, I, I, know, wa- and I, want them to, I want them to be 10 different ones. <laughs> so going through these and thinking, oh, there must be something that somebody hasn't made a mistake about yet, but I'm not sure there is. I'll just have to. Here's. Sorry to sorry to interrupt, it, Heather. Here's one that came up that I was actually surprised uh, from both uh, Sarah Bradford and Justin Ford. Sarah's was avoiding having homeowner gatherings was a uh, mm. one of her mistakes. And then uh, Justin said, waiting ten years before I hosted a property owner gathering party. Don't be afraid for your owners to gather together with you. It's not only a great retention tool; it helped with future property acquisition as well. So that was actually a, a surprise to me. I've never I've never heard that before. And uh, two you know, well-known people in our industry, Justin Ford and Sarah Bradford, both said that. I thought it was great. We uh, we pulled our owners uh, or s- some of our owners into a focus group, and we took we took them off to a to a hotel, and we we sat around for for a day, and we we did a bunch of chatting about you know where the business was and where it was going and and what they wanted us to be for them, and gave them a good lunch and it it was the the weekend of our cottage life show so they got tickets to go to the show afterwards. It was such a great a, a great thing to do from their perspective. They they absolutely loved that, and then we started up a, an owners Facebook group where they could share their experiences and right. and it. Uh, didn't didn't last very long because they lost a little, little bit of interest, but it was it was certainly good um, at the at the outset. And maybe we could have 
carried it on in a different format. But just getting those owners together and talking amongst themselves was such a, you know, such a great thing yeah. to do. All right. We've got firing owners. I suppose we've, we've covered that. So next, technology. Yeah. The, the themes here, keep it simple, slow down. Let's see. Adam Norris, trusting technology products before testing their actual functionality in the field. And I, I think I said this before with Mike Harrington being too tech focused with a team that wasn't techie. Most of the time, your team is not as excited about the new tech you want to roll out. I thought that was great. And then we had, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people talking about revenue management, a lot of people talking about, you know, video uh, photos, you know, under investing in really good professional photos, uh, professional uh, virtual tours. Yeah, there's some, some good ones in there. Yeah, there's uh, certainly when... The, the reason I think that this book is going to be such a, a, a great benefit for people is that there are so many different areas, although there's, although there's a lot of areas where there's similarities, there's a lot of differences. And this is just brilliant. All these amazing property managers sharing this information. And certainly on the technology side, you know, I would, I would certainly say that um, you know, my big mistake was carrying on my habit of being an early adopter and, mm-hmm. and having pride in being an early adopter, but then taking on board new technologies that they said no one could learn. It was too techy for them. I couldn't learn it. And then we end up with this great tech stack with all this stuff that's completely useless because it's not getting used properly. Nobody's using it, yeah. Yeah, and then that gets into subscription creep. <laughs> yeah. All right. We've done really, really well here. We are on the last one, which I love, which is networking, conferences, community, and local competition. This was this was a surprise for me. Like just how many people talked about networking. And when I was at this last uh, conference, Northwest VRP, someone mentioned they're like, you know what, the vacation rental industry is is kind of like a family. You know, and you think about it. I mean, I, I was, it's funny, I was talking to Brian, uh, my business partner, as we were flying home. And he even mentioned, he goes, How often do you see like some of your best friends from high school, you know, or college? Maybe once, maybe twice a year. I mean, these people were seeing, you know, easily half a dozen, you know, times per year at these conferences. But the networking and conferences came up, Heather, 22 times. Mm-hmm. It was number one by far, just, you know, like, uh, Travis uh, Wilburn says at State Charlottesville, not networking amongst my peers fast enough. You know, Justin Ford, not networking sooner. He waited 12 years to join VRMA. He's like, I should have joined on day one. It just, the theme came up time and time and time again was just how valuable these networking and conferences uh, were for sure. Yeah. um, I didn't jump in till about sort of six or seven years in. And I think because when I started back in 2002 or 2003, there just wasn't, there there weren't the events out there. And then they began to creep in. And uh, I I don't think I could have, or we could have made such success with our company without going to these networking events. I just wanted to to share one thing that I, I always recall learning at a conference and it wasn't from education it was from sitting down with one of our competitors in in a lounge and having a coffee and and me saying you know how do you deal with damage deposits and he said damage deposits 
I mean, this is going back quite a while. When, you know, in those in the yeah. times of damaged deposits, and and I said, yeah, sending them back is such a a chore. And he said, we don't do that. We self insure. And <laughs> the light bulb went off, and I I went back, and we implemented that within three months of getting back, and never looked back on it. And if I hadn't gone to that conference, we, I wouldn't have sat yep. down with a competitor. Yeah. Well, it's uh, was it a local competitor like yeah. in your markets? Yeah. Yeah. So that that's a great segue. So this was brought up six different times is um, meeting with your local competitor. So Sarah Bradford says viewing local competition as foes versus friends. Now she's got some great friends that are in her markets. Justin Ford said the same thing, not inviting my competitors for coffee. It wasn't until I built alliances with my competitors that we all started to succeed together. Your competitors aren't your enemy. There are plenty of properties for everyone to manage. Uh, and that was even one of mine. It's uh, not proactively extending an olive branch to local competitors to build out that local network. I never did that. I, and, and now seeing kind of all these and seeing the industry from the outside in, uh, you know, from more of a vendor perspective, uh, it's, it's a regret that I definitely have. Um, but there's definitely enough, you know, competition. There's enough, definitely enough properties out there don't look at your competitors um, as foes. Look at them as friends and com- common theme. Uh, Mike Harrington talked about that too, being too worried about the competition. Yes. And and I know that, you know, in the first 15 years of our business, we didn't really talk much to the competition. Once regulations started to creep in, then yep. we, you know, band together. we had to, we had to band together and, and what a, a change that was. And and now the Ontario Cottage Rental Managers Association is going from strength to strength, and you know, advocating on behalf of of their owners plus VRBOs as well. So it's it, it is so worthwhile that uh, that networking locally. Right, that is there is the bonus section. We've got about a minute on that one. Not taking care of yourself, mental yeah. wellness, and setting boundaries, and I think that's super super important. Yeah. I mean, just not doing it all. I mean, it it seems like, I mean, look, this is a hard business, you know, as Dennis with Cassiola talked about, uh, he talks about just how difficult it really is. He says, thinking that managing vacation rentals will be easy. Spoiler, it's hard, like really hard, like 24 seven hard. And it's true. Like it's, I mean, you, it can take its toll. It took its toll on me. Uh, That's why I sold after five years. I, um, there's, you know, so just making, setting those boundaries, you know, not being too available, uh, as Mike Harrington talked about, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's stressful and, you know, don't forget to take time off too for yourself. I think, you know, Brian Olson, you know, you know he even admitted, you know, not taking care of his own health. Travis, uh, Wilburn talks about not taking a vacation for five years. Valerie Genghis, uh, <laughs> said, you know, working regularly seven days a week for years on end doesn't contribute to a balanced life or perspective. So just taking some time off, some mental wellness, setting those boundaries. And then also, you know, don't take it personally. You know, when <laughs> an owner or a guest is really getting after you, just don't take it personal. Uh, as Sarah Bradford says, this too shall pass. But my favorite way to kind of end it is, don't take, uh, um, you know, don't forget to celebrate the wins, you know, and have fun, uh, which is true. Uh, you can sometimes forget about that as well. We used to have at the end of the season, we used to have what we called was the cake celebration. And <laughs> what, and because it was, it was when we went through and, and did the annual cull <laughs> and decided which properties would not be going on for another year. Yep. And, and we'd have a very special cake as we decided which were going to be the goners. 
But it was. It was. <laughs> I, I, I guess that was a celebration of a win, and certainly for for some of our staff after a summer of going through some difficult yeah. times with um, with owners and their guests. To to find out that they were not going to ever have to deal with these people again was was a was a super win for them. Brooke, I can't believe that we we did that in fifty minutes. <laughs> There's a lot more. We only touched on about uh, 10% of them, too. We did. We did. Tell us about the book. What's going to happen with it? Yeah. So, again, this kind of just came out of nowhere. Um, you know, so the book, yeah, you can, uh, you will be able to buy it here. It'll probably be available uh, this summer, and it's going to be available on Amazon Kindle uh, for purchase. All proceeds, 100% of all the profits on that will go to vacation rental, uh, short-term vacation rental advocacy. So whether that be VRMA advocacy or, or other different efforts, um, we'll be pushing all those directly to them. So if like San Diego needs some money and they're just going through a lot of stuff and regulations going on, we'll be happy to make uh, put those uh, proceeds directly to it. But also we'll be giving it away for a limited time uh, on our website. Uh, if you want to kind of pre-register, if you want to you know, get on the waiting list, and be kind of the first ones on there because we're only going to set a certain amount. Just go to Venturi.com slash mistakes. Again, Venturi.com slash mistakes. And we will be giving away uh, a set number of books for free. We'll pay for them. We'll pay for the shipping and everything. And you'll be the first uh, in line to get those. But I'm telling you, Heather, after reading these, like I really, and look, I, I, this is one of these things. I think this has the impact of being like the, the Jim Collins good to great for our short-term vacation mm-hmm. industry. There is so much information in here. And that's why I really did the book. It was just, it was too valuable not to share. Um, so I'm really glad to get this out there. And, and I hope if you're following on LinkedIn, you enjoy it. If you're not on LinkedIn, again, feel free to uh, you know purchase that book or, or go to our website and get it from us for free. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I think this is really, really long overdue. And, you know, how how quickly to go from an idea while you're just sitting there with your phone on an evening to being able to write a full-scale book and yeah. bring so much learning to the short-term rental community. It's fantastic. And thank you. Before we leave, Brooke, there's still time just to tell us a little bit about Vintori and how people can connect with you about that. Yeah, so feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or you can just email me, Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E at Vintory, V-I-N-T-O-R-Y.com. Uh, but yeah, Vintory, we're a, we're a sales marketing platform that we help professional short-term vacation rental managers grow their inventory. So we do that through data. Uh, we are building the largest database of vacation rental homeowners on the planet. Uh, we have this really cool uh, marketing engine that allows you to send cold email outreach to those prospects, allows you to send really cool, well-designed postcards and direct mail. And then we have this really cool CRM and marketing automation platform. So once somebody kind of raises their hand and says they're interested, the CRM kind of goes to work at nurturing those leads. And yeah, do and we've got a full uh, marketing team as well. So we're a full marketing agency as well. So if you want us to do any kind of digital marketing for you or or build out custom, uh, you know, postcards and direct mail and things like that, landing pages, we can do that as well. But uh, happy to help out. Plans starting as cheap as you know, three hundred bucks, four hundred bucks a month. Well, thank you, thank you for joining me again, and yeah. thank you for sharing all of this. And we will talk again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Heather. Thank you so much, Brooke Fouts, for that. That was absolutely great. Um, So looking forward to seeing that full book come out. And 
I know that uh, the, you know there's a lot in lot of those mistakes which are real pain points for people, and they're going to be addressed in some of the courses that we're, we're coming up with in Vacation Rental Formula Business School. So watch out for those. Time is moving on. We're nearly coming up to an hour. I never go beyond an hour on a podcast episode. So that's it for me. I'll talk to you again next week. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.